Uh, you, you kind of have my, my plan of what I'm doing in the gospel according to John. Uh, we are going to be covering some ground that supposedly we, we've covered already. And part of this has to do with I'm just trying to time things so that we come down to the resurrection on Easter Sunday. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest with you, that's part of what's going on here. But at the same time, and this is something that Mike is learning, he's going to learn to appreciate more and more and more, and that is this, is you can preach a whole bunch of sermons out of every single passage in the Bible. So even though we're covering some of the same things that we've read and we've studied, maybe in, in more recent weeks, <laughs> there's still a whole lot of meat and bread Right, knowing these words that we find before us this morning. But we're going to be just looking in chapter 19 of John again. Uh, and we're going to be looking at, uh, at verses 6 through 11. Just five, five verses, or six verses, I guess, uh, there. Uh, and some people may, gosh, how can you preach more than one sermon out of, you know, the, such, few, such few verses? But what I would tell you is this. <laughs> is I probably could figure out a way to spend months <laughs> just in these particular verses. That's how rich and how deep the Word of God is. The more you get into it, the, the more you see the depth of it. The more it challenges you and stretches you and bends you and twists you. So, anyway, with that said... Uh, I'm going to begin, actually, with verse 5. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, that cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Well, we understand that this is uh, that Jesus has entered into his period of the greatest period of trial and tribulation. You need to understand that Jesus was going through trial and tribulation from the time he was conceived. That we understand that during the Passion Week that that intensifies a great deal. And it all leads up to his crucifixion, the trials and tribulations of Jesus Christ. Uh, but I just want to challenge us with the idea this morning, this is that the, the conception of Christ in Mary was the beginning of his trial and tribulation. That he's been enduring all kinds of things in this whole period that you know, would be very foreign to him if he were not the incarnate uh, God. But there are three 
basically three categories of people that you find reflected in all these passages that have to do with the Passion Week. And what I would say to you is this, is that we see even today those groups reflected in people in the world. As far as the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes that have brought Jesus to Pilate, to basically force him as best they can to crucify Jesus. That's the reason, that's their intention of bringing him here. They're not about justice, they're not about righteousness, they're about jealousy, about hatred. They've convinced themselves that they are working to the glory of God, but in the reality is they are working contrary to the one whom they claim to represent. Their sin has grabbed a hold of their darkened and blackened hearts, and it's sin that is driving them. Even though they've convinced themselves that it is a passion and desire for the holiness of God. It's everything but that. But then you have this Bella Pilate. I mean, there's part of you that says, I mean, he was a dirty, rotten, rotten scoundrel. He just was. He was wicked, he was evil, he was a pagan. Everything he did, he did for one reason, and that was to benefit himself in some way. He was all about Pilate, self-centered, self-focused. And any concern that he shows about this all had to do with it, with this. The thing in his mind is this, is what can I do here, what must I do that's going to cause me the least amount of trouble? We see here that he's hesitant to crucify Christ. He finds no guilt in him. He pronounces in these words this morning, we've read that Jesus is innocent. Guilty of no crime. But he finds no fault in him. And just remember this, we studied the scourging of Jesus just a few weeks ago, and just remember how intense and how, how utterly and absolutely painful this whole process was. And, and, and one of the most amazing things, I think, for Pilate at this point is probably this. He's seen this over and over again. It's not the first scourging that he's ordered. It's not the first scourging that he's witnessed. And scourging was designed to do a lot of things, but one of those was to get people to admit their guilt. with a hope that that would end it. And he probably has witnessed a number of times where people have actually admitted to crimes they did not commit because they were in such intense pain at this point that they would have done anything to make it stop. 
So he's baffled. Because Jesus is not doing that. He does not know what to do with Jesus. What I would say to you is this, is we can see the whole of mankind reflected in three groups of people in this picture. Pilate's one. The Jewish leaders are another. And those who truly know God and love him are the third. There's a sense in which what's going on here in these different, it's this reflection of the whole of mankind through history. Because what you would say today is this, is, is, is there are people, you know, there are people who've never heard anything about Jesus Christ, but I would imagine that there's a huge percentage of the human body that lives on this planet today that have actually heard something of Jesus at some point or other in their lifetime. But we see reflected in these three groups, basically where three groups of people happen to be on this planet today. These Jewish leaders who believe themselves to be self-righteous. Let me tell you something. One of the things that grieves my heart more than anything else is when I see church people who come across as self-righteous. And there are some. You've probably known some in your lifetime. There may be some people that know you and they look upon you as being self-righteous. Has anyone ever been, has anyone ever charged you with being self-righteous? Doesn't mean you are. I'm not saying that you are self-righteous, but, but very often when people look at your life and they see, see how you are and who you are, they, they, they look upon you. And that's just one of the things they would charge against you is that you're a self-righteous person because you think you're better than other people. That's where you would put these Jew- Jewish leaders. They're self-righteous people. They believe they have a great heart for God, but realities they have a great gar- uh, heart for themselves. They're driven. They think by what is passion for God, but it's not. It's arrogance. It's pride. It's jealousy. But then you have this Pilate fellow who really, in a sense, you could say he's almost like indifferent to Jesus. Now, can you imagine having a conversation with Jesus? Pilate's had a private conversation with God himself. 
But what we see in, in Pilate really ultimately is indifference to Christ. He's not really concerned about Jesus. What he's concerned about is how what's going to happen here, how is it going to affect me, how is it going to reflect upon me? I mean, here you have him declaring by his own mouth that Jesus is innocent. He should have let him go at this point. That should have been the end of this whole process, but it wasn't. How many people in the world do you think today are indifferent to Christ? Let me tell you something. That's how I would describe myself before I became a believer. I was indifferent to Jesus. I knew something of him. I'd heard about him. I went to church when I was a kid. Went to Sunday school quite a bit and, you know, that sort of thing. But how many people out there do you know of, maybe family members, neighbors, people you've talked with, or this, that, they just have this indifference to Christ? They don't want to deal with him. I would imagine Pilate at this point would just wish this whole thing would have never happened. They'd just go away. That's where I was. I was indifferent to Jesus. I mean, I wasn't someone who went out and, 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 you know, actively persecuted Christians. But there are a lot of people out there that fit in that category. They know something of Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. And the sad thing is very often churches encourage people to, that fit in that category to conclude that they're actually Christians. I mean, very often we want to, if anybody can say anything positive about Christ, they've got to be a believer. But what I would say to you is there's a great number of people in the world, and I'd say a huge percentage of those live here in the United States who are today indifferent to Jesus. They don't actively persecute him. They don't actively persecute his church. But they don't want to deal with him. They wish, like Pilate, that he would just go away. But we know that there are people, and we know that Nicodemus and Joseph of Amarathea, that they, they every reason to conclude that they were there at these proceedings, they saw what was going on. We know that the disciples, even Peter, the ones closest to him, have, they may be on the fringe witnessing what's going on, and, you know, and, and, and that's some of them, but we know that they've scattered because... <laughs> They're afraid because of their association with Jesus. That you look upon him, scores now. They're thinking, you know what? That could be me tomorrow. If anybody knows that I am one of his disciples. But then there are those 
who know him, who love him, who serve him. And this particular group is very lopsided. Very lopsided. Very few, I would imagine, would have fallen into the category of knowing Christ as Lord and Savior. The whole reason I bring this to your attention is so we understand that this is like a microcosm of the the great trial and tribulation that's been going on since God created man. Pilate, at this point, he's just, I, I would imagine that in, inwardly, and of course we don't know what was going through his mind or through his heart or whatever, he's probably somewhat unsettled. Maybe he's wondering things like, how could someone that, that, that was subjected to what I've just subjected them to through this scourging now sit in absolute silence? No pleading for their life, no pleading for their death, which I would imagine was very common at this point. See, Pilate, in a sense, is indifferent to Christ. And I would say there are a lot of people, especially in countries like this, that are indifferent to Jesus. They're not ready to condemn him, but they're not ready to deal with him either. How many people do you know that it's like they're waiting? They're putting, maybe, maybe there's some hope they're going to come to Christ, but they're putting it off as long as they can because they want to live a particular lifestyle in the world for now. I mean, maybe I'll deal with Jesus one of these days, but it's probably going to come right when death is at my door. Then I will do I mean, you hear about these deathbed conversions, and, and, and very often you would think that maybe there, there's a huge percentage of people fall in that category, and I would say there's probably are real, there are real deathbed confessions of faith in Christ. but I would imagine that they're very few. There are a lot of people today, especially in this land in which we live, that I would classify as people who are, are indifferent to Christ. They don't know what to do with him, and so they don't do anything with him. We don't whip people in this country anymore for as a punishment for crimes committed. But you need to understand something, that there are lots of nations in the world where that still takes place. Just to give you a list of a few countries in which whipping, public whipping, is still legal. Iran, Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, what does that tell you? Those are all Islamic countries. You need to understand that according to Islam, whipping publicly is still 
a principal and primary means of punishing people. It's also legal in the Bahamas. Does that surprise you? <laughs> it did me. <laughs> I want to say this to you this morning, too, and you know, because very often we think about his tribulation, the tribulation of Christ during this Passion Week, and we jump automatically directly to the cross. But I would say to you this, why is Jesus being whipped here? He's being whipped for one reason, because the Bible said that he would be. That God's perfect will and purpose is being played out in absolutely everything going on in this picture. Isaiah 53, 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. Why was Jesus pierced with nails and then later a spear? Because God said that he would be. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought peace, brought us peace, and by his habra, his stripes, we are healed. So why was Jesus scourged? Because God said that he would be. We very often jump to the cross and we think that is ultimately the trial and tribulation of Christ. It's not. All of this is the trial and tribulation of Christ. Every bit of it. God the Father determined that Jesus would be scourged. And Jesus, there's no one else in that group that probably understands that, but Jesus knows that to be true. That's hard for us to even wrap our head around. I don't imagine that anyone in this room would even give a thought to allowing their child to be whipped within an inch of their life for the good of other people. Everything that Jesus suffered in life had to do with your atonement. Not just his crucifixion. His entire life was a, an atoning act on his part for people like you and me. Everything that Christ suffered in this life, in this world, contributed to your atonement. Not just his crucifixion. Here we have Pilate, 
I have found no guilt in him. And he says to these Jewish leaders, <laughs> you just take him and you crucify him yourself. If you want it done, you go do their dirty deeds. Do the dirty deed yourselves, and I'll turn a blind eye to it, because that was illegal for them to do. But just notice here, there's a sense in which he gives them permission to do what they want him to do, but they won't do it. Now, and I want to caution us about beginning to believe that maybe Pilate was a decent person. Pilate was not a decent person at all. He was motivated by his, himself. He was self-centered, self-focused. The only thing he cared about is, and, and everything that happened was how was it going to affect me? What is going to work to my benefit and what might work to my detriment? He is not a moral person. The only thing you have to do is read from history the things that we know about Pilate. Pilate was not a moral person at all. He was wicked. He was evil. He was an instrument of Satan. He's not a moral man. He's just simply trying to bring an end to this business in a manner or in a way that it's going to affect himself the very least. That's all he cares about here. Or maybe something or a manner in which it will gain him some advantage. That's what's going on here. He's not a merciful person. You just read history, the rest of the history about Pilate. He was not a merciful, caring person at all. He wasn't about justice. He wasn't about righteousness. He wasn't about doing what was right and good. Everything he did, he did with a mindset of how is this going to affect me? How is this going to benefit me? Or how might it might hurt me? Jewish leaders say to him, we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. We understand this, that Jesus did in fact claim to be God. He did. He did, he did, he did, he did. That's either... True or false? There's no in-between. We have a law. According to that law, he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. What's the first command of the Ten Commandments? Say, I have no other gods before me. There's reflected in that. Earlier in the Gospel of John, chapter 11, verse 30, Jesus said this. He said, I and the Father are one. What was their response? The Jews picked up stones to stone him. 
saying, we are going to stone you for blasphemy because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus did, in fact, claim to be God. A crime, according to biblical law, worthy of punishment if it is a false statement. But if it's actually true, and Jesus Jesus is claimed through with this Gospel of John to be the Son of God. Chapter 10, verse 36, I am the Son of God. I am the Son of God. To be the Son of God means you have to be God. In chapter 10, verse 38, the Father is in me and I'm in the Father. You see, what Jesus here, according to biblical biblical law, is a crime punishable by not just death, but eternal condemnation if it is a false statement. But it's true. (laughs) He really is the Son of God. He really is God incarnate. Just remember Nicodemus. This is early on in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 2. We know that you are a teacher come from God. We know it. Who's the we? He was a Pharisee. He's probably talking about he and some of his other guys in the Pharisaic realm. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I mean, so all the evidence was there for them to conclude and know that Jesus was truly the Son of God. Because he was doing things that only God could do. He came for a lot of reasons, and one of the reasons was, that the, you know, the principal primary reason was to save Joan Watson and Randy Watson and Kathy Gruber. But one of the things I think a lot of people don't understand was another one of the primary reasons Christ came was to reveal the God that it is to us in a way that he had never been revealed before. Because God wanted you to know him. I mean, the evidence was there. None of these Jewish leaders could say that I haven't seen any real evidence that he is the Son of God. They denied that he was the Son of God because they did not want him to be the Son of God. 
The reality is this. Is they charged Jesus with blasphemy? You know who the real blasphemers were? They were. And when they spit on Jesus, they were spitting in the face of God himself. You ever been spit on? You ever spit on somebody else? It says a lot, doesn't it? I mean, that's like one of the premier hallmarks of the greatest disdain that people can have for other people. We all know what spitting means. We know that unbridled sin and hatred is what is driving these Jewish leaders. And I want to say this this morning, and I don't want you to, to take more from this than I have to say, but what I want to ask is, I want to challenge you with the idea this morning, that is this, where I am today, how I am, how I behave, where my heart is, do I look more like the Jewish leaders, God forbid, Or more like Pilate. Or more like Jesus. Where are you? Really? I mean, Jesus has called you and he's called me to be a reflection of him into this world. What do people see when they look into our mirror? Honestly. Very often, church people come across as self-righteous. You know why? Because very often church people are self-righteous. It's easy to buy into the lie to begin to believe that God saved me because, boy, I'm just great. Now, I may have sinned a little bit in my life, but look what so-and-so did. There's a lot of difference between us and Jesus. The reality is this, it's impossible for his human nature to do anything that was contrary to his divine nature. You and I don't fit in that category. Yet. But one of these days, we have the promise that we will be. I don't know about you, but, you know, we think about heaven and how great heaven is going to be this, that, and the other. And you know what I think the greatest relief is going to be and the greatest joy we're going to find is that sin is just flat gone. 
not only the people around me, but guess what? In me. No bad thoughts, no bad actions, no sinful this or sinful that, ever. Is that something worth desiring? Is that something worthy of giving everything that you can possibly give to have it? Aren't you sick and tired of sin? Especially your own. What about this? We know that these Jewish leaders are committing blasphemy. What about this? What if we, we begin to understand that every sin, whether it's verbal, you know, because very often we think about blasphemy, it's this verbal thing. Someone says something. What if I told you this morning there's a sense in which every sin, in fact, is an act of blasphemy? Every sin. So what makes this different? They believed that they were self-righteous. We know that we are not. They didn't understand that they desperately needed a savior. We know that we do. They are refusing to acknowledge the lordship of Christ. Do you ever do that? Many times we do it passively. We do it without even thinking about it. That's one thing. But sometimes we do it actively. We're doing it, and we know we're doing it, and we do it anyway. At least I do. I don't know about I can't, I can't speak for you. I really can. I don't know. I, you know, you have to forgive me. And this is me. And I'm hoping it's also you. One of the things, too, and I'll wrap it with this, is just, just I want you to take notice here of the great restraint of Christ. <laughs> just remember this, when, you know, when Jesus was arrested and, you know, here you have Peter draw a sword and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant, Malchus. probably expecting praise from Jesus because of what he did. 
And Jesus looked at him and said this, Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father and he will send at once me more than 12 legions of angels? That's still true now. The truth is this, at in any moment, at any second, he could have brought every one of these religious leaders and Pilate himself to their knees. But he didn't. Why? He was here to save you. Sometimes we need to learn that lesson of restraint. I think one of the true arts of being an effective evangelism is knowing when to speak and when not to and knowing what to say and what not to say. And I've seen people trying to evangelize and you know, it becomes very obvious the person is not interested at all and <laughs> they're trying to get away from them and this, that, and the other and they try to run them down uh, and whatever. There are a lot of things that really ought to drive us crazy. But just like Jesus, there's a, there's a time when we are called to have restraint. And I think one of the greatest means of wisdom is knowing those times. These Jewish leaders and the Romans believe that they're about to close the chapter on the life of Jesus Christ. But they are wrong. In fact, they couldn't be more wrong. Pilate is known today for one reason. That's because of his part in all of this. Other than that, he would have just disappeared from history altogether, pretty much. Sin still rules in this world to a large extent and to a great degree. But Christ rules in the hearts and the lives of his chosen people.